welcome to Big Tent USA again. Tonight, we're excited to hear from Seth Flaxman, who's the co-founder and CEO of Democracy Works. What does Democracy Works do? They do a lot. Democracy Works powers the internet voting space. They partner with major tech platforms, corporations, nonprofits, and universities, and they provide all the voting information their users need through their TurboVote technology. So when you Google, how do I vote and get an answer, that's Democracy Works. Voting is in the news. Ensuring access to voting has never been more important and Democracy Works makes sure we have all the information we need to get our vote counted. Seth has been a voting geek, and I say that with great admiration, since high school. His education and job experience led directly to the idea for Democracy Works. He's going to tell us the Democracy Works story and how they're revolutionizing the voting information space. Please put your questions in the chat box and Seth will answer as many as he can. Welcome, Seth. Great, thank you, Sue. Hi, everybody. Nice to see everyone. I love my Bruce intro. I feel like I'm on the convention stage right now. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna share, you know, what. Uh, we do and how, how it all started, but um, I'm hoping that we can mostly spend time in Q&A because there's so much uh, happening right now, to use the euphemism, um, that I feel like that's what folks probably most have on their mind is get a sense of like, what's the state of play? Um, so um, just to you know, start out with the role I see for ourselves this year, I think First of all, everybody has a role to play in this election cycle to save our democracy. I know everyone here has been organizing and talking to Sue and Susan, it sounds like you all been doing a lot. So thank you for all of your organizing. Um, our role at Democracy Works, uh, our probably biggest role is providing information at scale to tens of millions of voters this year about how to vote. Um, and, and every different part of it, registration, mail, in person, um, so that's a moving target, that's hard, but also we're supporting the infrastructure of elections by supporting states and localities, uh, election administrators, um, to make sure they can handle all of the changes that are happening too. So I'll talk about both of those things. Um, but I, I started Democracy Works uh, over a decade ago. Um, that was when I had my personal freak out moment about our democracy, um, something I think a lot of people have had at some point or another. And um, those are much simpler times to have your freak out moment about democracy. Um, but uh, it was uh, combined with this personal experience I then had of realizing I, I was in grad school at the time. I'd gone to the, the Kennedy School uh, to get a degree in public policy. I, I was really interested in why the internet was not revolutionizing the public sector. And so I've had that hat on while I was there and had this experience of missing three different elections, uh, each for a different reason while I was in grad school. And that became the origin of Democracy Works, because I looked into each reason why I was missing an election. And I was like, one, I had missed the, the, you know, the deadline to get in my vote-by-mail application back home where I was living. I missed another trying to re-register. And then my like, third one, which was like my final straw, was like going down some random street and seeing a sandwich board telling me that today was election day. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is how you find out how to vote in America. You have to go down the right street on the right day and like see the sandwich board in time. Um, and so uh, I started researching how many people this affected. And 
sort of became obsessed with the question of how technology could revolutionize the voter experience and increase our participation through that as a way to improve our democracy because the numbers were really big in terms of who you could impact. Um, the, everyone here probably is like very well aware of our turnout problem, the participation problem in the US, where it's like 60% max in presidentials, uh, average historically like 40% in midterms and like five to 10% in local and primary elections. But what a lot of folks, including myself, didn't know is that the census asks people every two years why they don't vote. And the process reasons, there's like 12 of them that people cite, you know, missed deadlines, didn't know, weather, no transportation. And if you add up all of those things, it's like the majority of the reason people aren't voting. Over 60% in some elections. And so for me, it, I identified with it because I was obsessed with voting. I like in high school, I was like driving my friends to vote in school board budget elections um, during my lunch breaks because uh, I was a voting geek, as Sue said. And like I came from a political family, like not like run for office political, but my dad would go to school board meetings and after work and yell at them every week. And we would talk about it over dinner. So like, it was a political family. I was super engaged. And then here I was missing all these elections, each for a process reason. And it turned out a majority of non-voters shared my experience. And so that for me was the moment I sort of became obsessed with this question. Uh, I was freaked out about our democracy. Here was this lever I could pull. I can make it easier with technology and it could impact things at scale nationwide. Um, so uh, that was, the impetus for all of this work. And this year, the process issues have just gotten from bad to a perfect storm, um, where we have not just regular confusion, but confusion related to misinformation, confusion related to quickly changing rules, deadlines, polling places that are just a response to COVID. Um, even that well-intentioned, I guess is what I'm saying, changes that cause confusion. Um, registration has fallen off a cliff this year because of DMV closures for six months. Um, and there's this logistics race uh, across the country for states to build out the capacity of mail voting, uh, to find new polling places. So we are, we are in uh, a perfect storm of this problem that we, I was trying to solve a decade ago, um, where like can technology be this solution to process challenges to voting? And um, what is making us feel confident, uh, what makes me feel like we got this right now is our experience from the midterms. Uh, we were battle tested in 2018 with everything uh, that we did. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll explain the how, but you know, just to understand where my confidence comes from. Um, we, we registered around 2 million voters online in 2018. Uh, we uh, signed up around 7 million for our notifications, helping them vote uh, in all of their elections. And then for me, the most important thing at scale is we uh, helped uh, tens of millions uh, find their polling places online uh, in 2018. Um, and started this process of tracking hundreds of thousands of, of vote-by-mail ballots, which uh, at the time no one else thought was important. 
So I'll like talk about that work for this year more as well. Um, so we were, were battle tested in 2018, doing all of our work at incredible scale. And the result was really historic. I mean, everyone was involved in 2018. It's hard to isolate who did what. Um, but the turnout was 14 points higher in the midterms uh, than it was in the previous midterm. Uh, 14 points is a huge historic jump. And um, we were behind the scenes powering a lot of it. Uh, any, almost anything you saw online, uh, we were touching uh, with our data or technology. And so when COVID hit in March, we were already gearing up to do everything we could to increase turnout this year, but then we also took everything we built and we were like, how do we put this into saving the election? Uh, we're a team of around 70, uh, around two thirds technical, um, data, developers, products, folks. Um, and uh, there were a bunch of different ways we knew we could directly confront the challenge of this election. Um, where first was, you know, we run something called the Voting Information Project. So through that, we partner with the states and uh, provide all the polling place data you see online to Google. So if you've ever Googled online, where do I vote? Uh, just like in regular Google Maps, that data comes from us. Um, and we get it directly from the states with tools we built that interface with their systems. And um, we knew the first thing that was going to happen this year is polling places were going to change dramatically on election day as uh, certain ones were offline because they weren't safe. And we also know that with suppression, one of the key tools is to move polling places at the last minute to cause confusion. Um, and so the countermeasure for us on both of these fronts were we need to do everything we can to keep polling place data up to date online in the run up to election day. Um, the second was drop boxes were gonna become a lot more important, ballot drop boxes, which until this year, nobody cared about ballot drop boxes. I was like the biggest voting geek, like wanting to talk to people about this. Um, but uh, the second is we got the states to include all that data in their feeds. People are gonna need to be able to Google in the run up to election day, where is my ballot drop box and see it in Google Maps. Um, and so, Similarly, if there are changes to those getting moved at last minute, something no one would have foreseen before this cycle, but now mailboxes can get moved. Who knows what will happen to ballot drop boxes? People need to be able to find them. Um, so making sure those would be online. Um, the second, the third was uh, this huge effort to build up mail voting capacity as quickly as possible in the States. That really like started in March and April. And so we uh, started advising with state election directors on how to start doing mail tracking, attaching barcodes to all of their pieces of mail. And then if they had the capacity to also use our tool, uh, Ballot Scout, which was built so that uh, you know, voters and election administrators could track each ballot through the mail, know where it is, get text message reminders. Um, and, uh, Probably last and most important is through TurboVote, where we text and email voters directly what they need to know in order to vote in all of their elections. We turned it into this rapid response tool, where sort of no matter what happens, we could get voters the information they needed in order to vote this year, which is like changed over the course of the year. 
Um, you know, even like in Wisconsin, that meant like having multiple different messages on like how to vote depending on how a court case uh, ended up that morning uh, with like different information uh, for voters about what they would need to do um, to like DC, like telling people how to vote during a curfew uh, during their primary. Um, this has become like a long year, not to like take you through a journey of it. And, uh, but in some ways it was all practice for uh, the next uh, 75 days where we are making sure that anyone who signed up for TripleVote gets the information they need to be able to vote no matter what uh, happens uh, this cycle. And that includes getting folks to vote as early as possible um, when they're applying to vote by mail, uh, but also, um, you know, checking their registration, um, figuring out where to vote on election day. And our role as the emergency sort of crisis around elections has expanded, our role has continued to evolve uh, to the point where now one of the things we did not expect to be doing this cycle, but are now leaning into is uh, helping solve the poll worker shortage crisis, uh, where uh, one of the reasons why you had that massive collapse in the number of polling places in Wisconsin uh, during their primary was because up to 70, 80% of poll workers didn't show up on election day. And so we built out a model with MIT predicting that around 460,000 poll workers may not show up this year. Uh, that's the number that we need to recruit. Um, and so we are working with our corporate coalition called the Civic Alliance uh, that we, we co-founded with CAA to recruit 250,000 poll workers um, and mobilizing parts of our turbo vote uh, list, which is, you know, we, we work with around 160 uh, colleges around the country um, and a bunch of nonprofits as well. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a wild year, but I'm feeling optimistic about our role in all of this. Despite everything that's happening, I'm still expecting massive turnout. I'm not seeing people dissuaded from participating in the election. Um, on the postal system disruption, um, I'm seeing attempts to disrupt it, but I'm uh, from my contacts in election administration land, I'm not seeing big delays in election mail right now, so I don't know how successful it will be. Um, and on poll worker recruitment, um, I'm feeling like we're gonna get there and um, we're gonna be able to keep as many polls open as possible. So there's a lot going on, but I'm gonna try to be a dose of hope for everyone on all of this. Um, and, uh, and that might be a good might be a good stopping place because I feel like I, I dropped a lot of information about what's going on with the election, our role in it, uh, trying to deliver information at scale and support the election administration infrastructure. So with that, I would love to get questions um, in the I think we're doing it in the chat Sue. Great question. Um, so uh, we participate um, in this coalition. Um, actually, someone on my team can drop the link, Power the Polls, in the chat. Um, uh, Power the Polls is uh, a coalition that is going to help connect people to poll workers. The other way to do it is to just um, Google for your local election administrator and connect directly to them. Um, so there's, but there's the easy single link. And then also if you want to do a little bit more time, uh, you can, 
get in touch with your state, with your local election official. If a voter has an option, is it better to vote early? Um, one of the things that makes this space so complicated is that like every state is different. Uh, so the question is like, what should we advise a voter to do? Should it be vote early? Should it be by mail? Like what's the better option? Like the option's gonna change depending on what state you're in. Um, and so uh, our, um, in the states where for example, there's now I think uh, six states where everyone's gonna get mailed a ballot automatically. Um, and then you can either mail that ballot back or you can vote it. For some of them, you can also vote at a polling place. Um, I think you should uh, drop off your mail-in ballot at a, at a drop box. That's like the easiest thing to do. And um, that means you're not putting any capacity constraints on the polling places. Um, so for me, that's my preferred top option. Um, and uh, I think for, in general, my advice is either uh, vote as early as possible or mail your ballot in as early as possible. Um, but I don't have a strong preference between the two. Um, all right, I'm gonna scroll up. Um, okay, next, uh, Rachel's question. Are you working with College Compact, which is a coalition of approximately 1,000 colleges that works to recruit poll workers among college students? Yeah, uh, college, we're, we're part of uh, something called the Students Learn, Students Vote Coalition that um, Campus Compact is also a part of. Uh, and um, that's the main organizing coalition in the higher ed space right now that we, we work through. And they're, they're a great organization. Um, what about lack of enough ballots being printed by secretaries of state? Is it under control? Do you track that? Um, yes, I don't see Mary's square, but that is one of the things that I have been worried about. Um, I think uh, I am having, I, I'm not tracking that. I'm having trouble tracking that. And it's something that I wish journalists would actually pay a little bit more attention to. That's one, of, ballot printing is one of the flags we gave to states in April. Like set up, find your ballot printer by July, put in the order for the number of ballots that you need. Otherwise they're gonna be scrambling at the last minute uh, for ballots um, from different vendors. And um, I think my, the, the ballot printing issue is bigger for mail-in ballots than for in-person ballots. The, like that, that's what's causing the surge in need for printing um, because it's so unexpected in so many states. They don't know how to, a lot of states are just totally unused to this uh, level of mail-in voting. Um, and uh, for me, making sure there are enough poll workers working the polls that like in a worst case scenario, people can vote in person. That's the pressure release valve for any um, challenges with mail-in voting. So that's the thing that's making me not entirely worry about that one. <laughs> um, uh, great, and I uh, love that Big Ten is a partner with Power of the Polls. Um, and Kelly, uh, do you have to live in the state where you want to be a poll worker? I've checked into Pennsylvania in my home state, Wisconsin. 
it seems you have to be resident. Um, I actually don't know this one off the top of my head. I'd like, it's like most things in elections, it, it's probably different by state. Um, and uh, almost always, I believe you need to be a resident. I think that's like the status quo. I don't know if there's any exceptions to that. There might be a few exceptions to that, but I'm not sure what they would be. Um, one of the things that is cool about this is in a lot of states, you can be as young as 13 and be a poll worker. So this is actually something you could do even if you can't register yet because you're too young. Um, I think I'm thinking maybe it's like, I'm, I don't want to make up the state. I know one state you can go as young as 13, but a few are, are younger than, than 18, you can be a poll worker. Um, do I trust the recent turnaround by Postmaster General? Uh, how much did he take down before he was stopped? This is this was an interesting thing. Um, I uh, tried to get a sense from election directors. So in every state, you have your Secretary of State, and then uh, in the vast majority of states, you have your Secretary of State, and then you have the election director who reports to them. And the election director is like the professional who runs the election, and the secretary is the more political person. Uh, our contacts are primarily with the election directors. Uh, they're the ones we work with most closely. And they were not seeing uh, decreases in reliability for election mail as of late last week, uh, which I thought was for me really notable because it was so out of line with everything that we were reading and seeing. Um, and um, I, at this point, don't <laughs> um, uh, like trust but verify, I guess. Like, I think, you know, we, uh, I'm paying attention to whether the rate of election mail changes. So like, I think if that happens, secretaries and election directors will, will start ringing alarm bells. Um, that for me is the real um, signal to watch, uh, whether there are challenges with the postal service. Um, and, um, but I, I'm still worried about this. I, I think the pressure has worked really well and I'm hoping he testifies and um, we all get a little bit more information about this. Uh, uh, Nancy asked, uh, how do you deal with regions uh, where the voter suppression is extreme, where the requirements to vote are nearly impossible for so many. This is tough. Um, so for me, I see, I take like an ecosystem perspective for all the nonprofits who are doing work to protect voting this year. There is a coalition, you know, it's more focused on suing states um, and bringing them to court, um, which I think is a key solution for a lot of extreme voter suppression tactics. Sometimes those never don't work in time for the election. Um, and uh, for me, I see our role is like technology as a countermeasure. So if you make something harder, what can you do to quickly educate someone about the step that they need to overcome in order to vote? If they move the polling place, how do you make sure they quickly find it online? Um, and uh, how can you ultimately decrease the effectiveness of different voter suppression tactics over time by improving the information that's available for different voters? Because a lot of times voter suppression tactics are misinformation or disinformation, or where you're just telling people the wrong information 
um, or you're um, changing something basic and making it hard to get the right information. That's where we have focused, but um, I uh, would love to go deeper into like which types of voter suppression, if that's of interest to folks, because I think each one probably has a different solution. Um, uh, Carmina, uh, can you tell, can you educate us a little more about ballot boxes? They still require the USPS to deliver a ballot. Um, uh, what do you know about rejection rates and litigation that is going on in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin? Seems like it would be a great alternative to standing in line. So ballot drop boxes um, are great. And actually, if someone on my team could drop the little blog post we just did on ballot drop boxes too, if folks want more information. Um, and the, uh, the ballot drop box is run by the election office. So it's a way for you, for you to put, you know, basically give your ballot directly to the election official without the postal system being involved. Um, and a lot of states that have these have very specific regulations about them being bolted to the ground or watched by a surveillance camera or being staffed, uh, how frequently they need to have the ballots brought to the election office. Um, so I think it's a great, great alternative to standing in line. Ballot drop boxes are really key in, um, in a state like Colorado where everyone gets a ballot in the mail. Over 70% of the ballots are returned through ballot drop boxes. Um, the, uh, in terms of the rejection rates, this is one of the biggest challenges for vote by mail is that there are just different procedural steps you need to educate people about. One of them is signing the ballot you need to like sign the envelope. And if the signature doesn't match your registration signature on file, that ballot can be rejected or if you forgot to sign it at all. And so the states that have moved most successfully to mail voting over time, you know, they have time to educate their voters on how to do this. Um, and so one of the things we're trying to educate folks on scale about is like, do all of these steps. Like, don't forget to sign your ballot. Make sure your signature matches your regular signature. Because um, I do think that's going to be one of the, that's going to be one of the main ways ballots are um, contested or challenged uh, this cycle. Uh, and Anne asks, how do you get specific on the ground information? Um, and I'm not sure I, if you're here, I'd actually love a little bit more context for your question. Um, uh, I'm going to skip it for now, but we'll come back to it. So if you either mean like, how do we get the data on where the polling places are, or if you either mean like, how do we tell people, <laughs> um, specifically where to vote. Um, uh, Gail writes, there's a lot of confusion about the difference between absentee voting and vote by mail. Is there a difference? Um, it's, it's a policy difference, uh, in that, um, uh, vote by mail in the election administration community means you mail everybody a ballot who's registered to vote or is an active voter. Um, and uh, absentee is you allow people to request uh, a ballot in the mail. Um, the model that is like most effective for voters is vote by mail, where everybody gets a ballot automatically. Um, in Colorado, uh, they've become like the national model for this where uh, they have, first they have automatic voter registration, 
which is important because then they mail all registered voters uh, a ballot. And then you can either mail your ballot back or you can go to any polling place on election day if you would prefer not to. Um, so the Colorado model led to a, over time, like eight point, in, over eight point increase in turnout in the state where it was like, I don't know, 17th or something in turnout to now like second in turnout. So it's very effective. And it's for something for years that we've been talking about how, like building technology and helping states move to this model uh, of voting. Um, and uh, absentee, there's also variations depending on whether it's excuse or no excuse. Um, this cycle, a lot of states moved away from excuses or added COVID as an excuse. Um, but uh, the majority of states that let you vote absentee, you don't need an excuse. You just need to apply. And so some of the things we've been we've been sort of talking to states about are like making sure you can apply online to get your absentee ballot as opposed to needing to send in a, a physical form. Um, like there are ways even you can make that process more seamless. And uh, Avery asked, do you have a sense of how best to coordinate COVID safe voting for those that will, uh, for some reason, have to vote in person? Is there a larger entity coordinating COVID safe drop-offs, et cetera? Uh, do you recommend volunteering with an organization to help get voters to the physical polling places safely? Um, we've been working with a healthy voting coalition. Um, that's another link we could find and, and drop. Um, and uh, in my, and actually, uh, some of my team maybe also dropped the, um, the op-ed we wrote about poll workers. Uh, but um, this is one of the reasons I'm calling for all polling places to remain open. In like March and when COVID first started, people were like, okay, well, we'll close down some of these polling places. We're gonna move to vote by mail. And it's a horrible idea. Um, like these, keeping every polling place open is the only way to ensure there isn't crowding at polling places. Uh, what used to fit in a church basement now needs a high school gym because all of the um, booths are like six, at least six feet apart from each other, whereas it used to all be pushed in together. Um, so you can fit a lot fewer booths, voting booths in a polling place that you used to. And um, a lot of these buildings aren't big open space buildings. So in general, trying to keep open as many polling places as possible is, is one of the ways you have uh, safe voting in person to avoid crowding. And um, the, uh, the rest is just everything else we've learned. Um, making sure there's, uh, if you're working the polls, everyone has PPE, has masks, has gloves, has hand sanitizer. Actually, this is one of the more uh, inspiring stories of this cycle. Uh, Anheuser-Busch has worked with uh, the secretary's uh, uh, election directors to uh, distribute um, hand sanitizer because uh, distillers have that power to also make hand sanitizer. So like a third of the uh, hand sanitizer that election poll workers needed for election day is being donated uh, directly. Um, and uh, in terms of volunteering, um, I haven't heard of a great organization that's doing this nationwide. Um, and, uh, but if you, if you 
follow up with us via Sue, or we can maybe try to find something that's more local to your state, if that's something you want to know. Um, and uh, Sue asks, uh, if you vote by mail and get your ballot early, when will it get counted? Um, this is different in every state, which is one of the challenges for maintaining the legitimacy of the election this year. Um, I am uh, worried about uh, misinformation where folks say, oh, it's taking so long, it's because they're finding new ballots or they're, you know, or whatever it is. Um, but like in a state like New York, uh, where I'm from, you're actually legally not even allowed to start counting it for a week. It's probably one of the worst states uh, on this front. A lot of other states, you count them as soon as they come in. Um, and the states that have historically had more mail voting do this better because uh, they've been building up systems for it over time. Um, but the, the delay in, in counting these ballots is going to be the reason why we won't have a traditional election night this year. Um, we want to sort of ban the notion of the traditional election night. We're going to have, we're going to be kicking off a counting process. Um, and uh, are working to try to normalize all that education so folks don't uh, doubt the legitimacy of the election because there won't be a winner on election night. Um, uh, and Kelly asks, uh, where are we in terms of purge voters? How do we reach them? Um, so this is uh, folks who are cleaned off of lists uh, of uh, voter registration lists. Um, this is a real challenge because it's actually federal law that states are supposed to clean their lists in between cycles and some uh, do it very carefully and others don't do it carefully. So it's like hard, it's hard to tell how this power is abused um, in real time. Um, and also this is something I am worried about uh, and uh, it's one of the reasons why I pushed for same-day voter registration, because when you have same-day voter registration, this disappears as a voter suppression tactic, because worst case, you just show up and you register, and it's like not a problem. Um, uh, but um, in terms of how we reach uh, these voters, um, um, I think in all the normal places, honestly. I mean, th this is like for us, we uh, on TurboVote, for example, we make sure registration prompts are on the front page of Facebook and Instagram, Snapchat, um, uh, our college partners. And we find that putting registration in front of people online in a mass way is a way to reach everyone, um, including folks who were potentially purged. And it's why we ask everyone to check the registration. Uh, as a part of our, our process. Um, and Mary asked, uh, do you partner with any orgs that target older voters who aren't necessarily tech savvy? Um, yeah, actually, we, we part, so TurboVote, we think of it as like a clipboard, um, a new clipboard that, and then, you know, our partners sign up voters for it. We, and then we, once they're signed up for TurboVote, we help them register. Uh, and then we just like help them with anything they would need in order to vote through text messages and email with the information they would need. Um, so all, almost all of our work happens through partnerships. And one of those partners is the is uh, AARP, um, which uses the uh, TurboVote uh, platform um, as as part of their attempt to reach um, 
uh, older voters who aren't necessarily tech savvy and, and they find that just like text messages with the right information isn't effective. Um, uh, if the state is, thank you everyone for all these questions, by the way, I've done these before and it's like sometimes hard to get such all these great questions. So this is, this is a lot of fun for me. Um, uh, do you part, uh, if the state is not helping towns, uh, in Connecticut with mailing out general election ballots, is there something we can do to ensure timely receipt of, of absentee ballots in voters' hands? Um, so Connecticut is one of, I think, like eight states where the towns are responsible for voting. Um, and that does introduce a lot of election administration challenges uh, because towns have, don't have resources to do a lot of this. And the states also aren't given a lot of power to even help or control things. Um, and uh, I... I don't have a great answer. I, mean, I would have. I would suggest people sign up for TurboVote because we will help them navigate all of the different timelines that you need for uh, getting your absentee ballot. That's why we we built the tool to help you navigate things no matter what the state is doing. Um, but I don't know of any effort in, in the state in particular of an org working on that. Um, oh, great. Uh, so this uh, Kelly uh, brought the question, and there are 17 million purge voters, how do you reach them, how do you access lists of purge voters? Um, so actually I can add a little bit more on this. The one, one nonprofit that we uh, partner with is called ERIC, the Electronic Registration Information Exchange. Um, and they will, they help identify lists of purged uh, voters um, uh, and like mail all of them registration forms, but they have to partner with the state to do it, which is hard, right? Because that means that the states that are doing this well are the ones taking care of it and the ones that aren't don't care about this. Um, and uh, the, uh, but I don't have much more to add than that, which is we're, we're trying to reach them the way we reach all unregistered voters, which is tricky. Um, and Mary asked, do you have a Spanish language option? All of your messaging? Yeah, so TurboVote, everything, all TurboVote is both in English and in Spanish. Um, and uh, we also, that includes a help desk. So we uh, staff a, like a 100 person on election day help desk. So anyone who texts us back with a different question, we can get them an answer to their specific problem, both in English and in Spanish. And, um, you would, wouldn't imagine the sort of problems that we're helping people with. Uh, you know, pe it, this is actually pre-COVID, uh, helping people vote uh, from the hospital, texting back, asking how to get their ballot to them there, or um, uh, folks who are formerly incarcerated asking different very state-specific questions, texting us back. Um, so, uh, so anyway, yeah, Spanish and everything, including some of the hard stuff like help desk. Um, for the voting information project, this is how everyone Googles, you know, where do I get my polling place? Um, the, uh, we have another tool, Get to the Polls, which is the same language. Um, you'll probably see that on Facebook on election day. And because there are fewer words on that site, we can actually do that in 14 languages. Um, and uh, that um, is, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Uh, 
um, that we can offer to so many different language communities. Um, Susan writes, uh, how many of the removed boxes were duplicates? I see that a lot or very lightly used, but other boxes are available. There's a lot of noise on both sides of that issue. Clearly, USPS needs reform, but they should wait until after the election since Trump uh, has made, made it into a big issue. Yeah, that's, I, I guess what I was saying before, I've been having a hard time figuring out what's actually going on with the Postal Service. Um, and uh, I'm just watching, is election mail delayed? And like trying to see what, trying to like follow, track that um, as best we can to get a sense of the real um, uh, issue. But um, it, in terms of removing boxes, even duplicates or ones that are lightly used, it's just like changing anything before an election is going to hurt some voter who's just not used to having to do something differently. It's like changing a polling place at the last minute. Like it still exists, it might be still two blocks away, but you might not know where it is. And even that can like be a challenge for someone. So I'm very pro like don't change anything. No post box moves, no polling place moves if you can avoid it. Like that, all, keep things where they are and help people find them. Um, and uh, Susan asked, do you think that how we vote, vote by mail or in person is becoming a Republican Democratic issue? So that if the winner is not clear on November 3rd, Trump will call it a rigged election. Uh, so do we need to show up in person? Um, uh, there's a lot in here. What's interesting is at the state level, um, you do see a lot of Republican secretaries of state who are defending their mail voting procedures. I don't know if that matters in terms of the bigger media narrative that's happening right now, but I do think that's notable. Um, that there's a fracture uh, on this. Um, and you also see a lot of Republican uh, campaign leaders, the people actually do the running of campaigns uh, who are also very pro-mail voting because they worry that their voters are being turned off from it. So I'm not seeing that there's like a unified political messaging strategy on any of this, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and, uh, I, um, I do think the best case scenario for the legitimacy of the election is it is clear both with in-person votes and mail-in votes who the winner is. I do worry about um, uh, it being called rigged if the winner on, a, uh, if the winner the, on election night is different from the winner after you count mail-in ballots. Um, but um, everything's so different in every state. I don't think there's a good strategizing solution for this. Um, I think as, as long as people vote uh, however they can, that's the best we can do. Um, uh, and Carmine asks, uh, with regard to mail-in voting and early voting, uh, when do those initial early results get announced? Would that be an election day? Is there something co comparable to exit polls that might influence later voters? Um, I, uh, I don't think early results will be announced or should be announced. Um, I'm worried about the media on election night saying like needing to run with something and trying to come up with any sorts of numbers um, to just like get ratings that night. And um, I'm not worried about that um, 
influencing later voters. I'm just worried about uh, that confusing people about what's going on with the election. And so like in terms of like something I think all, everyone here can do, especially if you have media contacts um, or you know, folks who are, who are in the press or uh, in journalism in general is to get them to write about the election very carefully on election night and talk to them about this um, because uh, we just, we don't wanna see election night. There shouldn't be an election night this year. We shouldn't have big, you know, watch parties where we're seeing what state goes which way because I just don't think that's, that's not gonna exist and then people are gonna think the election was rigged when that doesn't happen. Um, uh, and Susan asks, is there an issue with stamps that must be placed uh, when sending back the ballot that a ballot can cost more than a regular letter? Um, yeah, this is an evolving thing, um, how much the return envelope needs to be stamped. Um, it is practice in, in every single state that the USPS will deliver it no matter what and then charge the election official for the unstamped envelope. But I don't think we should rely on anything being practiced right now. Uh, and um, uh, I personally think this is outrageous. I don't think anything around elections should cost money, including stamps. Um, and uh, but it is an issue, and I, I don't know what uh, where this ended up actually, uh, in terms of um, whether they're going to. Uh, this might still be fought. Um, uh, how do we get updates and last minute changes? For instance, polling place closes because of mechanical problems or they lose electricity. Uh, great question, Ann. This is a setup for me. You should sign up for TurboVote. If there's a problem on election day, we're gonna, like where your polling place moved the last minute. We did this with like the tornadoes uh, earlier this year in Nashville where we texted all of our users in Nashville about where they should vote because of the tornadoes. Um, so if there's like some challenge, like that's what we're building out our team to do in terms of rapid response this year. Seth, I think the question was more, how do you get the oh, most updated information so that we know that you have everything that anybody could possibly need to know? Got it, got it. Um, so we have staff who are housed in different war rooms with election. Uh, directors and um, journalists on election day. So we're just embedded in the spaces where any of these things are getting talked about. But like usually even someone in that room, an election director, they're finding out because their county or town clerk called them. And like the town and clown, uh, county or town clerk is either seeing it directly or they're seeing it on Twitter themselves. Um, the other source of information is uh, the 866-R-VOTE uh, hotline uh, from Lawyers Committee, which is a very important resource. Um, and so they will sometimes find problems. Most of the time that hotline is mostly directing, they're looking people up on our polling place finder because their polling place has moved. That's the number one call that comes into the hotline. It's just like, I can't find my polling place. Someone's moved my polling place. Um, but it also might source other intel that would come up to us and then we would send out a text to people. Um, and uh, in Connecticut, you can vote by mail and in person. Uh, the in-person vote will be matched uh, to the mailed vote and will cancel the mailed vote, allowing people to change their mind up to the date of the election. Who knew? Um, I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, every state is, is different. Um, uh, what's our budget? Uh, how, how much do you have left to raise to get to November? What work do you anticipate post-election? I obviously love questions like this, thank you. Um, so we, um, we have a $16 million budget and uh, we uh, are very close to meeting it. We still have a 600,000 uh, gap for the year. And, um, but the sort of bets we placed on like how we are going to spend it, almost all of that we placed in like April in terms of like, what was our headcount gonna be? What are we gonna need to go into the field with? And now we're sort of raising up to uh, that need. Um, and then after we, we hit that, we have a few different projects we can sort of deploy uh, on top of it. Um, but um, that's the two November. Um, and then post-election, there is a lot. Um, and just to like speak broadly about it, um, I see this as a turning point in mail voting this year, um, where uh, I think the future of voting is gonna be more more people actually voting by mail, but also demanding to vote very reliably. They wanna get text messages that their ballot was received, where it is, that it's on the way, if there's a problem, they want to get a text and an email or a call about it and be able to resolve it. Um, and uh, similar to sort of everything that happened after the 2000 election where there was this huge national effort to put money into elections, I think the next big effort is going to build this sort of seamless or reliable mail voting system uh, nationwide. And so I'm planning for that being a big part of our work post-election. I mentioned briefly Ballot Scout being one of the pieces of technology we build. Um, and right now we're uh, just in a few states, uh, Virginia, Michigan, uh, South Carolina, uh, Florida. Um, and uh, that allows a voter to track their ballot through the mail, get text messages, and then you know text with the election office if there's an issue. I'm planning to scale that up as much as possible. Uh, I mean, we've been trying to scale it up as much as possible before the election. But even after the election, I think that needs to go to just like standard part of our structure of voting. Um, and then, uh, you know, beyond that, one of the ways we built TurboVote is to help you vote not just in federal elections. Like for me, it was built on my personal experience of missing all these other elections, these local elections, primary elections. And so we see an op like this year as an opportunity to actually build the number of folks who we are in touch with. And then next year, we're gonna help them vote in like tons of elections, lots of local elections every single year. There's an election every Tuesday in America, even in an off year, uh, somewhere in the country. There's so many elections that people miss. Um, and so we're gonna be continuing to hone the technology we're building to make sure people vote in local elections in 2021. And um, I think some of the other work is gonna have to depend on what happens this election cycle. Uh, whether we're in a more, you know, what we're going to have to do to defend democracy next year is still a little bit up in the air. Um, and uh, uh, so the, the rest of that uh, we're going we're gonna to be figuring out post-election as we figure out how to defend the legitimacy of the outcome, potentially, um, just by getting out good information to voters about what's going on uh, with the results, because I think misinformation is going to be the big weapon. Uh, to uh, confront after November 3rd. Um, 
And um, Tracy asks, uh, what are the current estimates for the percentage and number of voters who will vote by mail? And what is that increase over 2016? Um, in uh, 2016, you had around 21% of the nation voting by mail. But in a lot of, I, I don't have this number off the top of my head right now, but like in, our, in at least 10 states, it was like over 70% were voting by mail. It's really different by state. Um, and so I think you're gonna see some states go, you know, I'm expect, you can expect maybe like a 20 point jump in all states. That's sort of like one way to think about it, um, where like states that were at 50 might go to 80, 90% voting by mail. States that were at 4% might go to 25, 50% voting by mail. Um, and it's, the, it's a, that latter group of states I'm most worried about um, because they haven't built all the systems and processes over time um, and where we might see uh, issues. Um, and uh, my reverse take on that question is just like, we're gonna see a lot of people voting in person. Despite all the energy on mail voting this year, a lot of people voting in person on election day uh, still. Um, uh, looking ahead, are you involved in early voting and ranked choice voting advocacy? Um, first of all, I'm a huge fan of ranked choice voting. Love it. Um, and for those who don't know what it is, it means um, basically in, uh, having a single primary where you list out from like one to 10 who your favorite options are and the sort of uh, top two from that being in the election. That's one way to, to do it. And um, and early voting is, is self-explanatory. Um, our role in the ecosystem, there are a lot of advocacy organizations. We, talk, we often talk about what are the best practices for running elections from a voter engagement perspective. And um, uh, don't, we are not sort of running campaigns to change state laws, but trying to change norms around what is considered best practice among voting. Um, so we'll talk about both of those things. Um, and like help move states towards it, um, but uh, uh, aren't are more partnered with the folks who are running the campaigns. Um, and if anyone wants to get connected to, if Gene, if you if you or anyone wants to get connected to some of those works, I'm happy to connect on that uh, after too. Um, uh, what is uh, Belinda asked? What's the best way to pressure change at the state level? Uh, through senators, legislature, secretary of state. Um, at the state level, uh, I think it's the legislature, the state legislature. And um, uh, I'll tell one really, though, impactful election reform story that I loved. Uh, in 2017, Florida passed online voter registration uh, through their legislature, uh, through an entirely Republican-controlled assembly, Senate, um, and with veto-proof majorities. Uh, even though the Secretary of State was opposed, because all the county clerks had organized, all the county clerks had said, we need this to run elections well. It costs us 10 cents to the dollar per registration. It's so much more secure, and so I love what I, what I love seeing is alliances between uh, activists and local election officials, uh, because there's a lot of power in that coalition uh, when it gets built. Um, 
And um, do all unstaffed ballot drop boxes have to have surveillance cameras? Who monitors that activity, the individual counties? Are there security concerns this year about drop box removal? I think it's, it's different by state, um, how each one handles it. Um, I am not concerned about Dropbox removal. I have not heard any concerns about that at all. Um, there's even fun anecdotal stories about these Dropboxes like standing up to like SUVs driving into them by accident. Like these are pretty solid um, uh, pieces of infrastructure. That might actually be the safest way to vote is uh, dropping it off in the Dropbox. Um, uh, the Aspen Institute estimates that 30 million people have been or will be evicted due to the COVID crisis. What is being done to register these folks and ensure that the vote? This is, a, this is like a crisis, actually. This is, um, I don't know anyone who is organizing on this very effectively. Uh, we are just trying to get information about registration in front of people wherever they are. Often people end up at fa other family or friends' homes uh, for an extended period of time or hotels. Um, uh, and uh, trying to make sure folks know their rights to register at those residences. Um, and uh, I don't think enough is being done at all for people who are evicted because of COVID. Um, but I, I, will, I will call it one of our partners who I do think is doing great work, uh, Vote ER, um, is setting up uh, voter registration with TurboVote at hospitals um, and is seeing a huge surge in, in registration this year uh, and essentially trying to turn public health institutions into voter engagement uh, operations. Um, um, Susan asks, do some states have the return envelope identified uh, with the name and the party registration of the voter? Not that I have heard, I don't think so. The, the way it usually works is you have these two envelopes you have your um, like ballot envelope, which will have uh, which you know, you fill out, and then there's like a return envelope that it goes inside, like a privacy envelope that it goes inside, um, and uh, uh, it uh, is built to make sure that the person opening the outer envelope doesn't know anything about uh, the person who um, who voted. Um, what cable station will you be watching the returns on? I'm a millennial, I cut my cable cord. Um, <laughs> um, I might be like streaming different YouTube channels live from my phone onto my TV. Um, uh, and um, I don't know, I have not even thought at all about election night uh, and what I'm gonna be doing. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when I figure it out. Um, uh, some more info in Connecticut, voters who return their absentee ballot prior to election day will not be allowed to vote in a polling place. Uh, voters who return their absentee ballot prior to election day in Connecticut will not be allowed to vote in a polling place on election day. Okay, so that is good information, Jen, to something someone posted earlier. Um, it is a good example of, with so much changing this year, um, like tackling confusion about these issues is like a real challenge to stay focused on. Um, and Tracy asks, are there any foreign countries who have experience with mail-in voting we can look to for experience uh, and successful practices to model? Um, 
I'm not sure, actually, uh, if there's another foreign country I'd point to. I was saying before, Colorado is my model. We don't have to look internationally. Colorado does this fantastically. Um, and uh, I think if the nation adopted that model, we'd see much higher rates of voting and much um, uh, higher rates of just like happiness and reliability with the system and trust in it. Um, and uh, uh, Gail writes, there appears to be concern among some people about voter fraud and voting by mail despite the evidence and therefore be unwilling to accept the results. What are your thoughts on this? This might be, um, this is the big, this is the big challenge facing our democracy, honestly, is like we are facing a legitimacy crisis um, if people don't believe the results on election day. It'll get uh, battled in the courts and needs to get battled with accurate information. Um, and uh, I think, Uh, there are going to be some folks who don't accept the results no matter what we do. Um, and uh, I think for that reason, this is why, like, this is not a, like, last hurrah battle for this work. Like, this is, like, an important battle for this work. But I think the next decade is going to be about rebuilding trust in our voting systems. Um, and it goes back to what I was saying before about like, I think it is critical that by 2024, every mail-in ballot is tracked, that everyone gets text messages about where their ballot is. Like some of those sort of like geeky features or whatever, I think are actually gonna be very important to rebuilding trust in our system. Um, and, and so that folks can see it for themselves. Um, so I don't think there's a great um, short-term solution. Uh, for this. Uh, does anyone have a happy question I can end on? <laughs> okay, Seth, I just want to say thank you so much. This isn't a happy question, but it's a happy thank you. This was, I think, both sobering and incredibly informative. If you get us tomorrow, a little note with all of the links you put up here, the links that are the organizations you partnership that people want to know about, and also, of course, a link so that everybody can support your good work. We will get it out to our whole group uh, tomorrow. And um, thank you so much to you and your team for pulling this together and for giving us all this great information. My pleasure, and thank all of you. Like. I was, I'll, I'll end on my one quick story, which is like when I started this work in 2010, 2010, 2009, and I like had my freak out moment about democracy, this was a very lonely space. People were not all like mobilized in the way that this group is. So I just really appreciate everyone being mobilized and organized about our democracy because it's, um, it's really important. So I appreciate it. And we'll